Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 The Lord will do that for you again today in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so this is going to be another great day in your life. Amen. A day of instruction. Amen. A day of correction. Amen. A day of enlightenment in the things of God. Amen. Let me say that again. A day of correction. Amen. Very important. A day of correction. Amen. A day of correction. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, can you greet somebody on your left and your right? And then you take your seat. Just bless the person. Don't ask questions. Bless. All right, the Lord is good. All right, let's take our text of scriptures today from the book of Ezra, chapter 7, which um, we have read a number of times. Ezra, chapter 7. You're going to bring out something there. We're, we've been trying to focus on that one for some time. Uh, we just want a verse, verse 10. Okay, let me just read verses um, 9 and 10. It says, For on the first of the month he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. I believe that this is a template for us to follow in this generation. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. And then having done these two things, he will add a third one to it, which is to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, this we all must do. Now, because I want to do some reading, and though we all know this portion well, I feel good to read about ten verses. Matthew chapter 6. Okay, let's just start from verse 24, by 11 verses. It said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or riches. And when we talk about riches in this regard, we're not talking about covetousness primarily, but about the need for security. That's the meaning of mammon, to secure your life. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And with what shall we clothe ourselves? That's what mammon is. A lot of people who are not eagerly looking for billions of naira, they don't realize they are worshipping mammon. Because what they are just looking for is just a few thousands, just to build a block of four flats where I can be collecting rent. That's all I'm asking for so that I will have food to eat. It's still mammon. That's the problem with mammon. It's very subtle. The man worshipping mammon, he doesn't realize he's worshipping mammon. He thinks the people who are trying to buy Bentleys and Rolls Royces are worshipping mammon. Because he's not looking for much. I just want my children to be comfortable. And you don't realize you are worshipping mammon. Mammon is not the desire for great riches. Mammon is that concern to have a physical security for sustenance. Don't ever forget that. So Jesus said in verse 25, Because you cannot serve God and mammon, 
I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into bands. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But what should you do? In life you must always do something. Anytime God says, don't do something, he will tell you something else to do. If he doesn't tell you overtly, look around, the thing has been told to you before. Don't ever forget it. So he said, do not be anxious. What should you do? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. Let me just say that again. If you are not going to seek what the Gentiles are seeking, you have to be, it it must be because you are seeking something else. Or, that seeking drive in life, you must give it to something else. You can't just be non-seeking at all. Are you getting my point? You can't just sit there and say, I'm not going to seek anything. You just have to seek what is right. Your heart has to be filled with something. God does not allow you to be idle. Your mind must be filled with something. Yes, most people's minds are filled with what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and with what shall we clothe ourselves. So what, what fills the heart is what takes them to church. I said something the other time, you know, not this week, but that was two, two meetings ago, that sometimes if you, want to, if you want to report Charisma magazine and stuff like that, they'll tell you there's a revival going on in Nigeria. Because the churches are full. Because you find, we'll go for maybe redemption camp, and we are a million people in one meeting. Because hundreds of thousands, it's not unusual for churches to do conventions, and they sit half a million people in their massive arena. So we think there's revival. The truth is that a lot of people, it is not a revival unless people come there seeking God. That's the point I want to make. It is not a revival unless they come to seek God. What you find is that there was a time the man claimed he was doing miracles in the scriptures. Simon the sorcerer. And many people gave him attention. So we find a situation now sometimes we claim to be doing deliverance. Many people are giving us attention. Deliverance from poverty. Deliverance from all kinds of things, especially the enemies of the household. So people go there. And I don't find any revival in it. Is idolatry. Like one lady, if you remember, I don't know, was it you? Yeah, I think you were there. We prayed one lady in Port Harcourt. She said that her father said, all we are looking for is a solution. 
She was telling the father that the father should stop going to all these strange places. The father said, you know we have a problem in the family. All we are looking for is what? Solution. If people are looking for a solution, that's not revival. I want us to bear it in mind. If they gather because we are going to kill their enemies for them, it's not revival. You know why? They haven't changed one bit. They just switched the babalawo they are using. Before they were using one part of, type of babalawo, now the, it's not the church babalawo they are using for the same thing. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? And as Africans, Nigerian Africans, this season, with what shall we kill our enemies? So anybody who offers it will go to him, half a million of us that they go. It is not revival. It's only revival when people come to say, what must we do to be delivered from the wrath of God? What must we do to walk in righteousness? I'm tired of the life of sin and iniquity. That is the rich will come and cast away their wealth. That's revival. Not that the poor is coming to see, if I sow this seed, pastor, what do I get? That is not revival. I just feel like emphasizing it strongly. So when we gather, you know, <laughs> once we went to Port Harcourt, your friend, when he came for the, to the hall. Now, normally if we are going to organize a program and people could try to book a hall, I tell them, normally get a hall about this size, you know, something like that, that I don't draw a lot of crowd, that because of the way I teach and all of that. So the guy came for the program. The hall was quite sizable, a little bit about twice the size, right? What we use in Port Harcourt. And there were quite a number of people there. So he looked, he said, ha, ah, what did the people promise? Nothing. And you gather this number, this is not a crusade. <laughs> he said, in Port Harcourt, this is a crusade. That you just came to teach the word. And this number of people turned out to come and listen to you guys. That this is a crusade. That normally there must be something, that, I mean, you must be killing a witch. You must be promising emergency breakthrough. You must be advertising one form of miracle on the other, or the other. You just came to teach about the kingdom of God. And this number of people came. This is a landslide victory. Can I use that expression? <laughs> the Lord is good. So let's be careful what we call revival. A lot of times we are still focused on what we shall eat, what we shall drink, and with what shall we clothe ourselves. But the person that's offering it is in church, so they all go there. And then we think that there's revival. And that's why we started seeing pastors doing fake miracles. Because that's how you draw the crowd. That's why I started having arguments with people on who is a man of God, who is not a man of God. Because they say this man is a real man of God. Why? Like somebody said to my wife in Ghana, he prophesied something and it came to pass. <laughs> so, it makes him a man of God. Because we are looking for people who, we are looking for soothsayers. We are not looking for real prophets. Soothsayers what we are looking for. What are soothsayers? They just like to, that's why because divination. Is on request. Divination. They are soothsayers. They don't have to be Christians to be soothsayers. They predict the future for you. They read your palms. They read the crystal ball. They read all kinds of things. They check your omen. Now, because these days people are looking for, not these days, people have always looked for such things. A lot of them, now you, they now do it under the garb of Christianity. And there's one man, like I was telling you last time, <laughs> one man I've been seeing on TV for a while. I couldn't place him. And our dear Indian prophet said he's the number one false prophet of Africa. If you think you have seen crowds of human beings, I'm not sure you have seen his type often. When they show the overflow, I see it on TV. And it's not, there's another guy like that. You know, southern East Africa, they're there. Heavy, 
no crowds of human beings. Massive tents. That's not even the main auditorium. People gathered there. And then I listened to him again and again, trying to see him pull people into righteousness. I never saw it. Some other man said he's the number one false prophet of Africa. Because people are looking for what they are not supposed to be seeking. You know what he said? Seek first the kingdom. Revival is when people are seeking the kingdom. Not when they are seeking miracles. Revival is, you see, you may say, but Jesus did miracles. That is true. But you know what? He never did miracles for those who came looking for miracles. He did miracles for those who were baptized by John. It will amaze you. Don't have time to explain it now in details. Because it will keep me there. This was what Jesus did. John the Baptist. You know how long John baptized? Who can guess? Just guess. We're guessing. The, the Bible did not tell us how long John baptized for. Who can guess? Okay, let's, let's calculate together. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when? Somebody said from birth. Mothers will thank you. Before birth. I know you are close, but it was before birth. He had never seen our light. He was already filled with the Holy Spirit. That's John. So we know, from the time he was a little boy, he was already manifesting. Let's remember his age. He was about about the same age as the Lord Jesus. Remember that? Because his mother was six months pregnant when Mary was visited by that angel. So we're getting it right. So by the time Jesus started ministry about the age of 30, John was about the age of 30 and a half. Truffles. If he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb, he had been filled with the Holy Spirit for over 30 years. Truffles. So we want to assume he went into the wilderness maybe as a teenager or about the age of 20. Now, we are guessing now. So let's make a long story short. He had been baptizing for close to 10 years or more. We don't know the exact time he began to baptize, but he was preaching. He was in the wilderness for a long time. So let's just make it easy for ourselves. Let's say between 7 and 10 years, right? Okay? So the man was preaching and baptizing for 7 to 10 years, and not once did he heal the sick. What was he preaching? What was he preaching? I'll tell you. The kingdom to come. The kingdom of God. What was inside that kingdom? I don't think anybody really understood fully. But they just knew that in that kingdom, God would be king. And that's what that mattered. The kingdom of God was coming. So men baptized. John was preaching the baptism of what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was his preaching. All John said to people is that your way is wrong, your manner of life is wrong, and if you don't repent, you will be judged. If you don't repent, you cannot enter into his kingdom. If you don't repent, you will miss this kingdom where it will come. And people's hearts will grip them because John preached with an anointing. You don't convict people with smooth words or wise words. Is the unction of the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit, so he kept on preaching and preaching and preaching. First year, no mighty work. We, we said we'll, we'll take seven to ten years, right? Second year, third year, fourth year. What all that was happening is that people were repenting. Sinners will come, they will be baptized, and they will repent of their sins. 
Please, I hope you're getting my point. And then he added another thing to his message. There's one mightier than I that is coming. I don't know when he began to preach that one. Somewhere along the line, he added to his message. They did not even fully understand the kind of person that was coming. He just said, that one is coming. I'm not worthy to losing the sandals, the, the tongues of his sandals, the rope that ties his shoes. And the other time we talked about servant of servants. That was the job of the servant of servants in the house. An average person will come, Eliezer of Damascus wouldn't untie your shoes. That's not his job. He's the ruler of the household. But there are some very low-level servants. John said, in his presence, I'm not even high enough as those very low-level servants. Who? Nobody knew. But John kept on baptizing. He gathered disciples. People like Peter and co. And began to teach them some things. Taught them how to pray. Taught them how to pray for the coming of the kingdom. Taught them the kind of words to use and all of that. Okay? But in all this period, like I was saying, he wasn't doing any mighty work. That's what the Bible tells us. The only thing that marked him out later on to make him the greatest of all was that he introduced the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this John, like I was saying, those who were convicted by the Holy Spirit, he baptized them. He did. Now, let me remind us of this particular principle. When God was going to give, meet the people of Israel, he told them something. He told Moses, said, gather the people together. Let them cleanse themselves. He gave them certain principles of purification. So they will do that the first day and the second day. He now said to them, on the third day, I will come down. So Moses told Israel, when God is going to come down, you prepare. How do you prepare? You will wash yourselves, abstain from certain things, purify yourselves. These are the procedures, and that's will go on for two, day, two days. On the third day, the Lord will come down. So there's always a season of preparation for anything God wants to do. Let me quickly say this to you. Don't get carried away when people say that today, today, God will answer. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And usually when he answers today, today, preparation was made yesterday, yesterday. I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> Sometimes we prepare not even knowing we are preparing. And so if you see somebody who got his answer today, today, and you have not done the yesterday, yesterday preparation, you will stand in today, today, and harvest nothing. Seed time and harvest time will not cease. There is a season for seed. There is a harvest season. Many times people are in their harvest season. Then the Bible says, this is how the kingdom of God is. It's like a seed that a man plants in the ground. You know, day by day, he goes to sleep. You read that Mark chapter 4 and Amplified Bible. He wakes up. He said, the, the, the earth by itself produces. He himself, that's where I'm going. I'm jumping many lines now. But where I want to get is the fact that he said that he himself does not know how. Many times people don't know how. Something will just happen all of a sudden. They don't know how. The law of God, however, is that there must be a season of preparation in which the person was preparing. So you, the seed was sown. Now, another thing, sometimes God allows generations to add to other generations. So um, Paul, um, Jesus will tell you that other men labored, but you have entered into what? Their labor, into their harvest. That is, the seed time was taken care of by somebody else. So he sees us as a unit of people, maybe the church of God. All right. So the church will sow a seed in one generation. The another generation will be sent forth to go and harvest. Then that generation will come and be teaching some people on how to get emergency miracles. 
That is not hard. It's not hard. What you just need to do is to take a sickle and enter into the field and begin to harvest. They don't remember that the field did not grow by itself. Somebody planted it. Somebody watered it. Then he died. Then another generation came and God called those and said, take sickle, go inside there and begin to harvest. Then they think they know how to do it. They now organize seminars on how to grow one million man churches. That is not hard. If you like, put me inside the bush. I can grow a church of 10,000 people. You hear? There's a principle. There are certain things that we did. And then the church began to grow. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, Young Cho taught us how to run big assemblies. You know, thank God for insight and understanding. One day I was reading his book. And they began to discover the assemblies of God people. They had been tilling the land, planting seed. Watering the seed for generations. Literally decades. Then harvest season came, he was born. He was raised in the season of what? Harvest. Then he did home sale. Church increased to 50,000. He did more home sales. Church went to 100,000. And God said, ha. You know, on Tuesday, it didn't want it to come out of my mouth. It even came out. We need to teach on how to pray the right prayers in the right season. God will tell him, ask me for how many people you want. And he will ask for 200,000 people. And he'll continue preaching. And we say, people will come as long as you are giving the word. It's not true. Isaiah preached and preached and preached. He said, I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Jeremiah preached and preached and preached. He said, the word has become derision to me. He said, look, people, that is the, the word now that I preach. It smells. That is when I, one day I'm coming, people leave me. For preaching the truth. So he said, I will not preach again. Then the word became like what? Fire. So this word has the different effects. Because you came into the season of harvest. In which people were hungry. <laughs> and they were looking. So you preach the good word. And the church increased to 200,000. We assume that Brother Cho knows how to do it. You know the Bible says, he himself does not know how. So in his generation, God gave him the word. That is, like, how many people do you want? He will pray and meditate. There was I learning some foreign doctrines. How to incubate 500,000 church members. So brethren learned all kinds of things. We called it the fourth dimension. Many of those dimensions were satanic dimensions, confused dimensions. But later on in life we learned, and I said, forget this thing, bros. If you are not in the harvest generation in which some people went decades before sowing the seeds in lands that they tilled, in which they died and there is no record of their names in glory on the earth, they wrote no books. It will be one man, his wife, farmers in one rural part, but who raised their children diligently in the fear of God? Who endured hardship? Who taught their neighbors the fear of Christ? They did not believe initially, but eventually those ones told their children, whatever our neighbor, Mr. Chun Chun Chuan, said must be true. Those ones grew up fearing God. And such people filled the land. And one day a man like Young Cho rose up and began to preach a certain kind of gospel and they were attracted. We now think that of course, everybody now decided to to South Korea to go and learn how to grow big churches. 
Some, some, of, some people came back from there, learned how to build cults. Not Young Gicho's fault. Some home cells became nothing but cult centers where you indoctrinate people into, you know what they call cult worship. That is, they worship the man on the top. There are churches that will teach their members if there's no congregation like our own in your home, that students, so they are going home. Don't go to any other church. And they claim they learned counsel from Yongicho. They did not. Please, I'm, I'm saying all this for some time. Let me not miss <laughs> what I was trying to explain. So life has seasons. That's what I'm going to make. So I just want you to know this explain the fact that a generation, when God takes the church as a whole, he can allow different generations to um, participate in different seasons of life. So, a generation may come used by God for harvest. They will think they have more wisdom than the previous generation that God used for seeds and for watering. They will say things like, at that time, they did not understand the way the Holy Spirit was moving. If they knew the Holy Spirit and how to bring the power down, they will have a revival. God said, oh foolish Galatia, you don't understand. There's only revival now. Because of what they did. The way I like to illustrate it is that many people go to villages to go and preach. They come to Africa to come and preach. And Jesus is not a strange name. There are places you get to. Jesus is a word you've never heard. But generally, most of our African countries, even in the Islamic areas, Jesus is not a strange name. I hope you know that. To demonstrate his power is what you need to do. Ask yourself, how did they know about Jesus? That reverend father that you don't regard as anything because he was not speaking in tongues or working the miracles you are working, lived 30 years in that locality. He introduced at least the person, Jesus, into the air. You came 30 years later speaking in tongues. I came with the power of Jesus Christ. And he said, Jesus don't bring get power. They didn't ask who is Jesus. They said, who get power? So he laid hands on the first guy. They got healed. They hands on the sick. They, they got healed. The blind, they saw. Ah! See, wow! This Jesus. Hey, original Jesus. So you are now laughing at the man who lived 30 years and did no mighty work. Forgetting that if he didn't live 30 years, you will have come and lived 40 years and done no mighty work too. That's when God takes us as a body and we do different phases of the same harvest. But let's get back to where we began from. Now, individual lives, things have seasons. There is a season of seed sowing. Later on, there will be the season of harvest. I was talking about the first and second days. John the Baptist was the first day. John the Baptist was the second day. Jesus was the third day. Talking about revival. So what happened was that John was baptizing and not doing any mighty work. Seven years, no mighty work. People kept on going. Do you know why? Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to convince them they were in sin. He was able to convince them that they needed to repent. He was able to convince them through the power of the Holy Spirit that they were subjects of the wrath of God. If these things are not in place, you don't have a revival You don't have a revival. No matter the healing you find, you don't have a revival. No matter the miracles you see, you don't have a revival. 
Now, the revival starts with this side, then it ends with the miraculous operations. Now, let me remind us of, of course, we know the parables of Jesus, no point reading it, it will save us time. Jesus talked about the, the parable of the ten virgins, you remember it? Then the parable of the feast, different feasts. He invited people for a feast. So we remember these different uh, uh, parables of feasts and all of that that Jesus would tell us, okay? One thing you find in a lot of those parables, like the parable of the ten virgins, is this closure of doors. Doors close. And when the doors close, they don't open. People who come after the doors have been closed, they've been shut, they don't get in. Not only don't they get in, they get into trouble. They stay into, they are sent into outer darkness. That's what the Bible calls that Jesus was speaking. He called the time of your visitation. Let me explain this again. John the Baptist was the time of the visitation of Israel, not the time of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was the time because if he did not participate in the first day, the second day, before Jesus came, the, okay, let me like this. Before Jesus began to operate, the door closed. The early days of the ministry of Jesus, the door was open. You will find out that Jesus only got involved in this baptism thing in the very early days. And in fact, those who were baptizing for him were the former disciples of John. The Bible says that he himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. John had spoken to them, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. So Peter and Co. had left to go and follow. So Jesus started his own ministry, if I might use that expression. And John brought them, um, um, Peter and Co. had the old habit with them. And Jesus used to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now listen to this. John preached it for years. When Jesus began to preach it, it was at hand, hand, hand. I don't know whether you get my point. He was the kingdom of God. He had not begun to manifest some things. That was a short period in which they could repent, added to those who repented under John. Once he began to do his mighty work, or his mighty works, you know what happened? The, the doors had closed. They don't serve the feast until the doors have closed. That's what the parable said. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they missed the timing because they did not subject themselves to the baptism of John. What I want to emphasize to the people of God is that this chasing around, looking for anything but the knowledge of righteousness and the walk in righteousness, it leads people into perdition. That's what I want to emphasize. Those who went to John went to be cleansed. If any child tells you that your sins don't matter, they are sending more people to hell than heaven, even though they gather more congregation. He's misleading. She's misleading the people who try to downplay on sin and iniquity and focus on blessings that God is not angry. As if, don't worry. Let me redefine the word believe. 
We know believing means to agree. Superficially, that's what it means to believe. But if you read Amplified Bible, who has an Amplified Bible there? Okay, yes, I think I have on my little device. Let's just look at the word believe in the Bible. Let's take one that we all know, the book of John, chapter 3. Okay, let me read the very simple version first, New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Thank you. Now, let's just read that word, believe, in the Amplified. He said, he even gave up his only begotten, unique son, so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish. That is, come to destruction and all of that. The word believe is not just to agree. The word believe is to cling to, to be totally united with, to trust in, to rely on, using a few words from the Amplified Bible here. This is the point I'm making. Believing, therefore, there is a superficial believing, in which James said, demons also believe. Are you getting my point? The question is that, is their believing saving them? No. Because he said what they claim to believe, they reco- the demons said it to the sons of Sceva. Jesus, I know. They are not questioning who Jesus is. We cast you out by the name of, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They say, hey, insult. Jesus, we recognize. Literally, if you reject the Greek. Paul, we have heard about. But who are you? That is, that they believe that Jesus died, there's no doubt about it. That he rose again from the dead, they don't have the ability to dispute that fact. They can try to confuse people, but they know it to be true. But what is the result in their life? Or in their lives? That's the question. So James says, there are two kinds of faith. Broadly speaking, because when you are categorizing things, you have to know the basis upon which you are dividing them. On the basis of the ability to save, faith comes in two categories. The one that can save and the one that cannot save. How do we know the faith that can save? It is the faith that produces works. How do we know the one that cannot save? It is the one that does not produce any work. Next point I should make. Both of them seem alike. Both faiths go to church. Both confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. He said, how can they confess and still not be saved? Because God said they, you can draw near with your mouth and your heart is far away. Listen, you see, that, that has been the confusion. So when you want to explain to people that you can be in church and not be saved, they say, no, you are preaching salvation by works. Don't be stupid. Please don't be stupid because I've talked on radio before and people are there. You remember? Isn't it? They want to read Romans chapter 3 for me. And they don't even know. You know, it's, you know, sometimes it's very pitiful. People are quoting scriptures they don't even know. Just because they went to church, memorized a few things, you know. Once I jammed some Jehovah Witnesses, they knew that don't jam Pastor Banky again. <laughs> I was not Pastor Banky that time. I was just, well, they didn't know me as Pastor Banky. They just met me. Actually, it was one woman, not even Jehovah Witnesses. It was my nurse where I used to work those days when I just first left school. She was terrorizing. Every, you know, most Christians don't know the Bible. You know that. They don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. Most Christians, so-called Christians, they don't. So Jehovah Witnesses tend to know a few. And they, they can terrorize people. 
with the ones that they know. So this woman had been a terror to them until I came. So when this discussion came up, three nurses were there when emergency that day. I was the, I was the doctor. They just standing there. So the discussion went about the woman wanted, the woman came in to terrorize again. She did not know. <laughs> she didn't know who she was dealing with. We, we, we lived on this thing on campus. That was our life. We are not quoting what somebody else said. We have read it. I spent the equivalent of half of a month's salary, almost, to buy a Bible when she wanted to try me like this. <laughs> that day she will quote one scripture, I will quote two. She will quote another scripture, I will quote two. Those two women were looking at me. They did not know human beings knew the Bible. <laughs> that is... She will quote one scripture and say, Madam, you start from halfway. Start from the beginning. She wants to dodge. I'll bring out the Bible and I'll read it fully. <laughs> At the end of the day, they say, one woman they said that. I've got the woman's name now. The other woman said, hmm, did not know anybody existed that could shut this woman down. <laughs> I said, good. I have come as a deliverer. <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> the point I'm making is that some people quote scripture that they just heard in church. They don't know the meaning. That young man, daddy, that was talking. This is what the head of the quote. They don't know that when Paul was speaking, Paul was speaking about the works of the law. He wasn't just talking about works generally. He was talking about the works of the law. And when James was speaking, he was talking about, he was talking about the works of faith. They were not antagonizing each other. Paul said, you can't be saved by the works of the law. James said, if the faith that saves you does not produce the works of faith, it is because it is dead. And I'm not saying you will save by faith, by works. James said, no, 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 no. After all, Abraham was saved by faith. And he quoted the scripture. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He said, but was his faith alive? He said, yes, because when God said move, he moved. He said, will Abraham have been saved? When God says move, he said, Yes, my Lord. Yes, my Lord. You are the great God. You have to be obeyed. The most high God. Here shall I go. So people say, when are we moving? He said, oh boy, a burning hand is walking in the bushel. Oh, stay here. <laughs> he said, will he have been saved? He said, such a faith cannot save any... You can say, I'm putting many scriptures together. We don't have time to be reading them now. Jesus was explaining all of these things. So listen. I said, I want to talk about the word faith. Genuine faith, people have asked me many times that does it, do we need to repent to be saved? Because they want to catch me that Paul said believe. And I say, you must understand. Paul did not know the difference between faith, between believing and repenting. It's now that I want to tell there's a difference. That time, Paul did not know there was a difference. Paul assumed that everybody that believed repented. And many times, see, Peter didn't put out the scriptures, and I didn't know I was going to quote them. Many times he explained to them that I have been commissioned to go and preach repentance that leads to salvation. Not that what Paul said at the particular point. There's a particular scripture. I can't remember it off at now. He said, I'm preaching the repentance that leads to salvation. To Paul, repentance and faith, they are the same thing. He didn't know there was a difference. But modern day Pentecostal wants to show that to believe, amen, in your heart, you know, Jesus is your Lord. That you continue fornication. Hallelujah. In your heart, you know Jesus is your Lord. You continue con- con- commit adultery. And you say to everybody, the fact that we are not we are pastors does not mean we are holy. 
But grace, hallelujah. Favor is not fair. We are going to heaven. Bros, you are going to hell. <laughs> Big time. And you wouldn't be the first. Jesus said that day many will come to me and say, did we not start parishes in your name? You see? Eh. But I never knew you now. So what do you mean? You walk out of iniquity. I didn't used to believe this before. And now I believe it. When they tell me that most pastors in Nigeria are not saved. And now I know it's true. People will say that, say, come on, go away. Is it because they committed one or two errors? No, no, it's not one or two errors. The guys don't believe. They don't believe. They were promoted. Some of them have sold their souls to the devil for money. But they wear gold rings, crucifixes. They professionally bless you. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. They don't believe anything. When you hear the kind of atrocities they commit, I used to think that God is very merciful. No, because I'm not merciful. I'm going to, I'm going to smoke him. Don't think he's going scot-free. I'm, smoked, I'm smoking him. Spirit, soul, and body. And you will last for a few years. You confuse a few people. But him, I will smoke eternally. Then you can bring out the scripture. Was he ever saved? Once saved, always saved. Because argue all you want. The day of judgment, she knows there's no appeal. Sit down there and be arguing with me. Why do you want? You know, sometimes I don't understand some things. I tell people, why are we having this argument? Why don't you just repent? And then we don't have to be arguing. I mean, you know, today I was reading something. I don't know what it was. But the person quoted... I can't remember what led me to it. But the person, anyway, he now quoted C.H. Spurgeon. A message that C.H. Spurgeon preached December 27th, 1874. Oh, not today. When you hear the name C.H. Spurgeon, you're supposed to know, say, no, be your mate, self. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting that the fellow gave the date. December 27th, 1874. He was preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15. Let's just read that one so that we'll just, we'll get back to our message. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse, um, let me just read verse 15 quickly. Okay, don't, don't worry. I, okay. What he said there is, be diligent to present yourself, present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handing accurately the word of truth. But this was what he said that the man quoted. He said, we have preached salvation by grace, but we do not preach salvation to those who still continue in sin. The children of God are a holy people, washed, purged, sanctified, and made zealous for good works. And he who talks about faith and has no works to prove that his faith is a living faith, lies to himself and lies before God. That's Sage Spurgeon. You should know that by that time too, some of these controversies were also raging that time. Spurgeon said... <laughs> He lies to himself and lies before God. If he speaks of faith and he's not one of the holy people, washed, purged, sanctified, zealous for good works. He said he said a lie. Remember I'm defining what? Revival. Revival. John the Baptist, remember what I said? It was the first day of the, of the coming of the Lord Jesus. It was the second day. Jesus was the third day. And that's how God does things. The first two days... How long did Jesus baptize for? Sorry, work miracles for? How long? How many years? 
Okay, three years, three and a half. People have argued that some say just a year. I've read, I read one uh, theological article some time ago, try to give different points. But generally, we agree, most of us, there's about three, less than four years. John ba- baptized for nothing less than seven years. Does that not make sense? Two days. First day, John. Second day, John. Third day, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ did two and, um, three and a half years. It makes sense that John did seven years. I didn't think of it before. I just thought of it now. Me and you thought of it together. When the Bible talks about faith and patience, I want us to understand something. So those who came to John, they came to be literally saved. They didn't come to get rich. Those who came to John, they came to be literally saved. They didn't come to get healed. Those who came to John came to fight for their souls and the things of eternity, not for temporal things. No wonder Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And other things will be what? Added. All other things. You know the story when Jesus went to the pool. Uh, what do you know that pool? Bethsaida. Five Porsches full of sick people. And one man had been there for a very long time. Now, please listen to what I want to say. It's not striking. Now, we know the principles of faith. You see it, you believe it, you declare it. Is that not so? No, no. Have you not learned some basic faith? Three steps in releasing the thing that God wants to give you. Hallelujah. And I believe it too. Those three steps, I operate them. Amen. Then Jesus went to one man. He said, do you want to be healed? That was a healing guy. Nobody helps anybody these days. He did not believe it. <laughs> he didn't see anything. Neither did he confess anything. Ah, no, is it not your Bible? What did he operate? Nothing. He just sat down there. He didn't know who Jesus was. Let's read it to some people are confused. John chapter 5. You, you assume that everybody knows these things. It's not in John chapter 5. Let's read from verse 1. No, let's start from verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticles. In this lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. Now you know what happened. They they assumed that an angel would come, stay up, and the first to go in. Now verse 5. And a certain man was there, who had been 38 years in his sickness. So he's been sick for a long time. We don't know how long he's been at this pool. When Jesus saw him lying there, I need to to bear that in mind. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to take me to the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, arise Take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man began, became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Now, I, I need to read some more for certain reasons. But I'll jump to save time. So verse 10, people say, it's not right for you to do what you are doing. Verse 11, he answered them, He that made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was. He didn't know Jesus. It was not like the woman with the issue of blood that said, if I may but touch his garment, the hem of his garment. He didn't know. 
Basically, he did not release any faith the way we know how faith is released. The Bible says, For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. They encountered each other again and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. And the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, I don't want to talk about Jesus for now. I would like to talk about that man again. The one I want to bring here is this. This man, the Bible says how many people were, now don't give me numbers, just give me the description. How many people were in that place? Multitude, thank you very much. Five porches. Jesus walked by everybody else, picked one man who was not exercising any faith, prayed for him, commanded him to be healed, if I may use the expression, and walked away. And the man was still confused as to who it was, what happened. They said, carry your pallet. He kind of was good. They said, why are you carrying it? He said, one man said, I should get up. If you were me, would you do to obey such a man? Please, bros, I know the Sabbath is against it, but what will I do now? Who is the man? He said, I don't know. He just came. He said, I should get up. And I found strength to get up. Strength I had not had for 38 years. The question is, why did Jesus select him? The Bible didn't tell us directly, but I think I have the answer. It's simple. He had, in his condition, struggled to see John. He had gone to John, confessed his sins before John. John took his sick body, took it into the water, pulled him out and said to him, your sins are forgiven you. Now you can go back home still sick. And the man was not disappointed. He did not expect John to do more than that. He was satisfied with the forgiveness of sins. I hope you are getting my point here. I hope you are getting my point. The man was satisfied with that. Revival, true revival, produces people who have their satisfaction in the forgiveness of sins and the attainment of the power to walk in righteousness. True revival, that's what it produces. People that love what? Righteousness. And they just hate wickedness. Not because righteousness pays anything. Righteousness in itself is the payment. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They are satisfied. You know, there were songs. Let me say something. I just feel like I'm not very old yet, even though I'm older than a lot of people here. But there are some people here older than me. Amen? So I've been around for a while. Not too long, but I've seen enough. Now, I repent on behalf of the whole church for a few things. When I began to study the scriptures, you understand, we began to see some things. Now, we hear gospel, gospels like Archbishop Benson that also are preaching things like, my God is not a poor God. You can go to YouTube and look for his videos. He also used to preach in the most expensive Agbada. Both the material and the embroidery could save the lost. If you know, <laughs> I hope I get my point. <laughs> if that was all, it took money. Somebody told me once, and he hardly wore those things twice. It wasn't, you may say, how, how can it be so? It wasn't vain. He just had too much of it. He didn't used to go to tailors, though. Don't think he went to tailors. He would just come, just say another wrap there. He would open it and wait. When it's done, he would remove it. Next morning, he wakes up, they've dropped another. Who brings it? Are, everybody's falling over themselves to dra- dash one to Papa. 
Archbishop is the other thought of my God is not a poor God. Then faith teachings came in at that time. He, he was instrumental in bringing a lot of in because he brought a lot of ministers to Nigeria. They brought a lot of books in different people. Anyway, the Holy Spirit was moving, really. This was what I was telling you I rep- I'm repenting of again. I people who repented of it a long, long time ago. I just want all of you to join the repentance because it is us. I know you were not there, but you are part of this body. Amen? You are a sinner in that area too. Amen? Say the amen. amen. Don't worry, you are being forgiven. Don't, don't be afraid. It's all of us. When Daniel confessed the sins of Israel, he wasn't doing any of those things. But he was, he was an Israelite. So he needed to you know, identify. So those days, this was the sin we committed. When we began to learn things like the gospel of prosperity, and miraculous power was flowing, actually, I know people, a lot of churches today, all right, Okay, at least, places like Christ Embassy. I met Pastor Chris at Akilome University. He was just my, he was just, but we're not the same university, but he was in Ekuma, I was in Bina. And he used to come to our campus to preach. I was in my first year and into my second year. He was a final year student in Ekuma, all right, at that time. Not only him, many of them, they were, they were, there was this particular generation of people that God raised up mightily, mostly from campuses. You go to people like Tundejo that came from Unilag. God moved upon those young men. I know some of them that walked out of school because the power of God flowing in their lives was too plenty. My wife will remember the day we went to visit one of them. I won't mention the name now because he gave us some gist. When he came to Enugu. It was that generation. So I met him in a place, church went to, went to preach. So I went to greet him. Ah, you were in Uniben too, sir. Yes, we are from Uniben. Oh, we greeted. So we said, well, that we can come and visit. Yeah, it's okay. So we came to his hotel room. The following day, we spent at least two hours. Told us a lot of stories. He said, as a student, he went to Abba to go and do a program. A student on campus. That you even know what you are doing. That some people came there to cause trouble. He was in front preaching. Now said, now we are going to pray. That they will see the power of God. He just said, he put up his hand. He just said, Holy Spirit. No, Holy Ghost. And those guys caught fire. They, they were... The people couldn't see the fire, but they were burning and running out through the windows. All they just said was, Holy Spirit. There were men, those that they want to pray for you, they'll tell you, put your hand on the wall there. They'll touch the wall here, you'll fall off the wall from that side. The power will run through the wall and knock you off. And they were students. The one that said, walk out of school, my friend packed into the room, he packed, he was the one who removed his books. His friends begged him to come back, he did not come back. You see where I'm going? And I think that's part of the problem. Just now I'm saying it now. I think that's, that was part of the problem where the whole thing died down. Because one of the things we began to preach, that, that's the repentance part, was that some people will be preaching, this world is not their home. And that's why the world has taken everything from them. How can some people be taking a vow of poverty? Jesus died and I will be rich. Arrogance came into the flow of divine power. Arrogance. People just became arrogant. They thought they knew. They thought it was those words they quoted. People will come to fellowship to preach those days. They will go and get a book. Three kinds of faith, or two kinds of faith by Kennedy Hagen. They will read it. They come to fellowship and recite it almost word for word. In their memorization, they will lay hands on people, students. In fact, one of my friends... They laid hands on him one day. He fell under the power. Later on, he said maybe the guy pushed him. So he was arguing with. <laughs> so he was arguing with another of my friends. 
So one guy was there. They had, they were, I, we heard him argue. So it now became three people. So he was trying to explain that, look, this power, this power, power thing, maybe it's not like that. So that guy said he was offended. He said, okay, they should go to sports complex. Now, sports complex was our spiritual arena investor of Benin. So three, three young men, I think first year, or the most senior of them would have been a second year student university. Small, small boys, all teenagers. So they went to campus. The oldest one, if the other guy is older than the other fellow, maybe he will have hit 20, but not more than that. So they went to campus, to post complex. So they said, he said they should start praying. So they started praying. Now, listen to this. There were three guys. So the man complained, let's call him bro, brother one. His friend, who's also my friend, brother two. The minister that wants to serve the choir, brother three. So they prayed for about five, ten minutes. So brother three stole brother two. Touch your friend. That one put a finger on his friend. The guy fell backwards. So he said, we have started the choir. Let's go. He said, lest it be that I'm this. So he told. So I'm not talking about people I know from a distance. He said, he just touched him like this. Like this. Pam. The guy went down. Pam. He, no, he lay down there for some time. When he got to say, boys, let's go. She said, the choir has ended. <laughs> and guess what? These were small boys, though. Back to the Lord, and say. So you know one of the things? That ruined the whole thing. It's not realizing that was what happened. Because we learned a few Kenehigin messages. How to declare it. How to pronounce it. How to receive it. When you are going for a meeting, you begin to tell the Lord what you want to see in that meeting. It's as you have seen, they will begin to see. Then to not make it worse. Good though, but worse for us, temptation wise. Some of us had dramatic, prophetic unctions. I see my one brother at that time. Some of you went to Wabbeck. You've seen him. You know the one I'm talking about. He, sometimes he would describe a place he has never been to. They get it exactly the way he said. Why? Because before we reached there, suddenly he went there ahead and came back. How? Don't ask me. It was, it was everywhere. And it, it confused a lot of people. Some of them thought they were holy and righteous. That's how come the power was there. So people would preach. One of the things that marked our teaching those days was that when you want to preach... You give one or two Greek words. The word for redemption is ex agorazo. Agora is a Greek word for market. It's a place, I'm telling you. Sozo is means to save, to deliver, to heal. The word, the noun for the verb sozo is soteria. Everyone I've given you now is accurate. We, we, uh, we, how can you preach and not quote two Greek words? How can you? Then when we finish Greek words, they will not take one old song and tear it to pieces. I did not do that one. Said so this world is not my home. I'm just passing through, and that's why they are not victors. The Bible says that those who inherit the righteousness of faith will reign in this life. Tell somebody, I'm not just passing through, I'm raining. We'll tear the song to pieces. Say, so take the whole word and give me Jesus. It's the reason why we are poor. By faith, we claim Jesus and take the whole world with him. Hallelujah. Then, when we say it, we insult. Listen to where I'm, where I'm going. On. The SU people that came before us. The apostolic faith people that came before us. Those who were 
tattered clothes, but preached in the jungles. Those who lived their lives serving Jesus, but did not have the same cast, they were not rich, who made it look like they did not know anything. If they knew how to tap into the inheritance that God has given them in Christ Jesus, they will have been really rich. Hallelujah. I say boldly right now, we're lying. We did not know anything. The Bible says these were men that the world was not worthy of them. That's what the Bible says about them. Why am I talking about it? They were the reasons why small boys touched each other and the power fell. They are the reasons. They were the reasons. They were the ones who walked into the center of occultism and dared any wish to rise, whether you will ever fly again. They were the reasons. They were the reasons why small boys like us walk up and down and were not afraid of being kidnapped and used for rituals because they fought men like that before we came on board. They were the reasons. They didn't have time to be believing God for Bentleys and fat cars. They were using all their faith to literally destroy the kingdom of darkness where they have built fortresses. The small boys who were enjoying their sacrifices came and laughed at them. And the glory departed. The glory departed. We started laughing. We thought we knew how to do it. Just because we quoted to get a naked message. We learned how to declare one or two things. Small boys will touch the sick, they will be healed. Something the SU man did not do. So they assumed that he did not know how. No, God said that was the season of John the Baptist. Without them, you will never have learned the things you learned. But guess what? We gave them no credit, no acknowledgement. All we did was laugh. What were we laughing at? The way they tied their hair. What were we laughing at? The way they railed against sin. What were we laughing at? We're laughing at, you know, you look back now, you almost feel, you start feeling bad. People who should have gone to prostrated and thanked. Yes, they are human just like we too. So they don't have everything perfect. We'll overlook those little imperfections. So that small prosperity that we're able to believe God for, that they did not know, we shared with them. You come and you should go and visit them. The worldly goods that they never had, you gave to you just give them some of it. But was there? We we're young children too. We we're following some of our elders, laughing, laughing at people for not wearing the kind of clothes we now could wear. We couldn't wear yet. We were students. What were we even wearing? We we're just following our guys. Listen, they birthed the revival. You remember what I said about revival? It is not revival except it's producing righteousness. If it's producing money, it's not revival. If it's producing healing, it's not revival. If it's producing miracles, it's not revival. It is revival when it is producing righteousness. So you hear all the time about Charles Finney, Charles Finney, Charles Finney. What's the name of the man that will enter a town and people will suddenly stop sinning? They don't know he's there. I've forgotten some of their names. He's somewhere praying. And the whole town, people would just be getting on their knees and repenting. These men did no miracles. How many sick did you hear that Charles Finney healed? What marked Charles Finney out? 
was that when Chastini left your town, everybody was going to church. Be a palace we shut down that he came to town. There's one I heard of. He was in his room in the hotel. And they were downstairs in the Z Club, what do they call it? Anyway, wherever. They were dancing. So then the Holy Spirit said, go and join the dance. Eh? Me? Dance? Of course, Christians they did not dance. Either in their homes. Even in church, all this one that we're generating in church, it's modern Pentecostal people. Those days, Deeper Life told me, I went there, that when you clap, you clap in order. That the Bible says everything must be done decently and in order. So our teacher said, this is how we clap. <laughs> he quoted the scripture for us. And which then, because when we get there, you know, when we are doing praise worship, we have collected the, the desk in school, secondary school now. But, but boys will be, and I have some boys, you know, my friend, the Bobuleche boy, he could drum. <laughs> There's one boy who used to call Bobuleche. <laughs> because he could do everything. He could do everything. He, you will laugh when I tell you this. He has chased a monkey on a tree before. Now, he didn't catch the monkey, but for you to dream of it. <laughs> He did not catch the monkey. But we looked at him and said, oh boy, the thought entered your head. <laughs> How many of you have seen Agbaluma tree? Not the recent one, an old one. Do you know how tall it is? This guy, we never had problem with Agbaluma. Do you know why? He will climb it to the top, where nobody else will reach. He will pluck it and throw it down. We will be down waiting for it. At night, he will teach us how to catch cricket. On top of that, one day, they say, yeah, Missy has made a microscope. So I went and met him and said, where's the microscope? He said, I should go and look for an ant. So I brought an ant, gave it to him, put it under his microscope, and I saw the ant magnified. So we called him Bobolish. The guy could do everything. <laughs> so people like him will come to fellowship, and he will start drumming. My guy will come and say, let everything be done in order, and in a, decently, and in order. So we'll go... Of course, from that point, we're no longer enjoying the fellowship. <laughs> we're not enduring it. <laughs> the Lord is good. So you see, there was no dancing in those days. Not even in church. So this man of God, for the thought to drop into his mind, go and join the dance. So he was the Holy Spirit, so he went down, entered the club or whatever it is, looked around, saw one lady, Asked whether he could dance with her. She said, no problem. So he said, please, uh, there's only one small problem. If she does not mind. That before he does anything, he has to pray first. So the lady looked like, which kind of... Before she could finish thinking about it, bro was on his knees to pray about the dance. <laughs> True story. Closed his eyes to pray. And the next thing he heard was, Tum! somebody fell. Bam! His eyes were closed. People were falling all over the dance hall. By the time he finished praying, everybody was on the floor repenting. It, listen, he did not preach to anybody. Just so the lady wanted to dance with, say, please, can I pray first? Can I pray first? That's what they call revival. Some of those men will get into cities. By the time they are leaving, all the night clubs will close. Not because it, first the owner will repent. Some owners did not repent. The clients stopped coming. So a whole town 
you couldn't sell alcohol. Then the alcohol selling places closed down because there were no clients. And they didn't work any miracles. They just preached and walked away. I was listening to Derek Prince recite a story I heard long ago about one of these men. I don't know whether it's um, the Baptist man. What's his name now? Is he Methodist or Baptist? What's his name now? Wesley, yeah. One of those Wesley brothers. That by the time he was done with the revival, that the men did not use swear words anymore. And the mules, the horses that they used in mining, this was in England, all right? We're so, so used to swear words to move. When you want the horse to move, you swear at the horse. No, the men, like, hey, this kind of rubbish, you know, you move it, you know? They, by the time the revival was over, they came back, nobody used swear words, so the horses refused to move. The horse had been trained with bad words. They did not work miracles, so. Yet they turned whole counties, communities, cities, towns, so that you couldn't find thieves anymore. All the thieves had not only gone to church, they had repented. Not the one that would say, we are doing repentance, we are doing revival. In church, say, please don't leave your purse on the seat. Please, the offering basket is blue. We used the red last week. This week, we are not using blue. Why? Because half of the ushers are criminals. Will not be excusing, you know, this is a public place, all kinds of people will come. Yes, now, when there's no power. You know, today I, I was still driving down today, I just remembered what, what uh, was it, um, this man that said, one of these old men of those days, maybe Spurgeon or something, that a day is going to come, so if, instead of you finding shepherds feeding the sheep, you find jesters entertaining the goats. And I now realize that I've been to many church services where jesters actually entertain the goats. No, no edifying word in the jokes. Nothing. Yeah, we give them 10 minutes to minister to the brethren. Then we clear pulpit for somebody to teach us on how to watch our weight. The sisters will have 15 minutes on how to do makeup on the same pulpit. Oh, you've not been to church? Then, you know, can again say something long ago? That when the power has gone, we'll start having fashion show. Then I sat in church and I saw fashion show on the same pulpit where we normally will preach. I said, Kenny Higgy was a prophet. <laughs> Yet to be lying to her, I said that we have revival. That is not revival. No, it's not. I don't think when SU people gathered those days, they remember to announce that you should watch your pulses. They've already told you, if you still you will die, you'll go to hell. And they are not joking about it. They were not joking about it. You think anybody went to the church in Acts? And they said, hold your pause. They said, please, oh, there are pulses on the chair... Ananias is guarding them. Thank you. Sapphira is holding the other side. When you hear the announcement, you know the gist. They don't have to tell you to take your purse. The last guy that brought his own money, incomplete, he died. You come and collect somebody else's money. Your children will die. So what are you talking about? The guy. And we tell ourselves there's revival because we gather one million clowns. Jokers who came to look for miracles. And we like it like that. That's how we do crusades. And we are so excited in a crusade to be taking offerings. You know, those days we laughed. I was, I, I, I'm very guilty because I was among those laughing. Because we thought that those men did not wear decent clothes. They did not know the truth. We thought that because they did not have money, 
They did not understand faith. We did not know they were men of whom this world was not worthy. They were those who went, like Paul said, at the peril to their lives. They went to preach the gospel, collecting nothing from anybody. Now, we, if, you don't, if they don't tell some of us on the radio, they will give us ahead of time. We will not come. A pastor the other day, you know, we, we start this like jokes. Like jokes. They said they hold three services. Ah, he asked the other guy, three services? You preach three services on Sunday? How much is the prophet's offering? That he can't sweat like that. Okay, how much is the offering? Three services? No. And we thought the men of those days did not understand what we understand now. No, they understood more. They knew what was valuable. The power we experienced, they birthed it. Just like without John, there was no miracle in Israel. Yet the Bible says he did not do any mighty work. But you know what happened with John? As soon as he was done baptizing, as soon as, look, once they put him into custody, Jesus helped him out for a short while. Preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, his boys were baptizing. Then they took his head off. And you know what happened? The door closed. One of those men that went in before the door closed was lying down at the pool. So the Holy Spirit told Jesus, one of them is over there. So Jesus walked through everybody, identified him. Did not ask him, do you know the five keys to receiving? Do you want to be made whole? That one told his story. He said, get up, take up your pallet and walk. And the spirits entered into him and set him on his feet. Why? He went for the baptism of John. The Pharisees now came to Jesus and started speaking all kinds of grammar. Who are you? There were all kinds of stories. If you really have power, walk on this water again. We heard you walk on water this day. Try it again. The Bible says, oh. They did not recognize the time of their visitation. Everybody that opposed John was an enemy of Jesus. They couldn't help it. Though. It was it was it was pointless arguing with them once John was dead. The door had closed. It was pointless arguing with them once John died. And that is the law for each generation. I wanted to say that. Let me get into it before I, before I forget. Each generation has its days of John before the day of Jesus will come. The days of John, remember what I said? And the day of Jesus. Two days for John, one for Christ Jesus. That was what Moses established for us, that God told him. What characterizes the two days of John is, you know, no miracles. It's only repentance, correction, instruction in righteousness. Don't do that. Do it like this. Forsake your ways. Repent. Be saved. Be changed. Don't behave like this anymore. Say, this is my year of miracle. God says, no, 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 no. It's your year of correction. It's your year of change. Like we said the other time, we read from Philippians chapter 3, there are so many aspects to life. God is finished dealing with you in one aspect, goes to another area. And you're expecting that this is miracle. Miracle is coming. They say, this year, you will see miracles in your life. Maybe for some people, but for you, it did not happen. Those who came looking for miracles, they always get discouraged if John baptizes for too long. 
John will baptize. So, Oga, we are still sick. John will baptize. <laughs> they say, Oga, we, are, we still don't have money. John said, well, I don't know about your money. I don't know whether you have money or not. But one thing I can assure you of is that you will not steal again. If I baptize you, you will never steal again. They say, Oga, okay, now we'll go chop. You know the truth? Most of them, that's when they leave John. So when Jesus comes, they say, hey, this is not correct, pastor. They join his church. I know what happens. They never get anything. They don't know that to receive from Jesus, you had to have been with John. You had to have been with John. You had to have believed John. Let me put it like this. Jesus did not have the time to take you from the ground up. He gave that job to John. When John had prepared the people for two days, then Jesus came on the third day. And then so those who did not even understand faith, they got healed. They just got healed. They didn't even know who he was. Know who he was. And he walked up to them and said, you, take up your bed. Move. That's revival. That's revival. That's why people get discouraged. When they, listen, there is no... Listen. You will fall for false prophets. You will fall for them. You will fall for false teachers. If your heart did not come to church seeking the true God of righteousness, but seeking the things that he gives, false prophets will get you. And God will watch them do it too. You know those who he defends? Say this one came seeking righteousness. He will, that is, he will expose the false prophets to you again and again. He will expose them. Before they start talking, he will let you know this one is false. But if he did not come to receive that revival, I, I began by defining what true revival is. I look back and I understand where, I don't know, should I say our generation, the generation that just went before me, that we joined up, that was where they missed it. We spent a lot of time laughing at John. Do you know, we even took John himself. You know, now, I'm talking about figurative John. But the John of the Bible, we even took him apart. It's lack of revelation. If he had revelation, there was no reason why Herod should behead him. He would have understood divine protection. He would have spoken against Herod. Herod would have been the one beheaded. Amen? Amen. We had all kinds of stories. We took the John himself apart. That what is a man of God doing? Eating locusts and white honey. You know, the way we insulted John, she said we'll not get respect. You know, we didn't know how to respect elders. You know, there are things that your father would do. You don't even talk about it. You just leave it. Why? His father, is that it that did it? We took a whole John and told him he knew nothing. That he died before his time. Even if he died before his time, waiting concern, your mouth should not be able to say something. Why? Because Jesus said, of all men, born of women. <laughs> Do you get my point? You should have respected Jesus' estimate of that man. But the truth, let me tell you, he did not die before his time. Any more than Paul died before his time. He did not die before his time any more than Jesus died before his time. They both died young. So don't, don't. Uh, when did Jesus die? 33. When did Jesus, John die? 31. What's different? Just two years. What's two years amongst cousins? <laughs> they both died early. Why do we think that John died especially early? He did not. He said it himself. 
I am not the husband. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Once I introduce the bridegroom to you, my ministry is done. Me, I must decrease. And him, he must increase. And he says something, all right? Now, if you read your Bible well, that Jesus refused to preach publicly until he heard that John had been taken into custody. So he was waiting for John to get out of the way. Their ministries were not supposed to run side by side. So stop insulting John. Now, John this time around, you know what John refers to in our own lives? It's those people that came before us who focused. In fact, in Nigeria, you can just summarize their name in two letters. S-U. When you were young, I don't know how, okay, some of you are so young, you were not born the time I was, the story I'm telling you. Those who are old enough, you know how they used to laugh at S-U. S-U was not a nice name. What is it? The man, the man na S-U. What is it na S-U? What do you mean is that? Listen to this, oh. He won't drink with us. He will not womanize with us. And if you're in the same group, maybe in office, people are sharing money. You know, that's the end of it. He said, how is your guy? Boys, my guy na S-U. You know, once we hear Maogana SU, you know, say the deal don't spoil. The deal is dead. The man is SU. So everybody will just give up. And I'm saying to you today, they were the ones that bested the revival. Even if they were not the ones that participated in it, even if they were not the champions, they were not the ones going around doing the crusades, but they set the ground. They're the reason why we could start having churches of 5,000 people, 10,000, 100,000. We start having denominations across the country. And then when we laughed at them, the glory departed. Because laughing at them is not just the, the mess in our faces. Not just that. It's the way we started behaving not like them. I hope you're getting my point. We came up with doctrines, different, that I don't mean the physical doctrine of how you tie your hair, how you don't tie your hair. But the, the disdain they had for sin, we wiped it away. Things that couldn't be named amongst them, we, we are comfortable with it. When I'm talking about laughing at them, that's what I mean. And one scripture which I apply in that area, where we make our mistake, we made our mistake, was that the Bible says, take hold of one and don't let go of the other. I'm not saying they were perfect, but you should have respected the generations before. I know one of these Bible says that John said he came to reconcile the heart of the fathers to the sons. They, we needed to be reconciled with that generation. What reconciliation? There's a few differences. But we don't laugh at anybody. They wouldn't receive us easily. Do you get my point? You know who I mean by us now? The newer generation and the older. They wouldn't receive easily. We know that. But for goodness sake, in our hearts, we honor them. We honor them. We don't stand on the pulpit and laugh at anything that they did. We recognize that they bested the power of God. I hope you're getting my point here. What's true revival? Is people... Being turned to righteousness. That's true revival. It's not the miracles. That's not the revival. So if we have revivals, our youth are not purer than those of the world, we don't have revival. We are joking. We are playing. If we have revivals, we think, yes, we have cars, money, plenty of it, but our businesses are not known for the integrity with which we do things. Do you understand? We're not known for our honesty, our diligence, our being above board in everything, our righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees, our integrity is not shining through. Listen, we don't have revival. 
We don't have revival when Ananias and Sapphira is very comfortable with us. We don't have revival. I'm not praying that Ananias will start dropping dead, but at least they should not be comfortable. We don't have revival when Ananias can boldly come and be promoted as a deacon, having stolen money from the state government. No, we don't have revival. We don't have it. Most importantly, we are still on day one. I hope you get my point. We have not reached second day, so the third day of Jesus is still far, <laughs> is still far away. That's the message I'm preaching towards this evening. So what responsibility do we have? Remember, let's go back. Did you read it just now? Ezra. Yes. Let me just go back there. Ezra chapter 7. Let's read that particular verse. So for all of us to understand what we have to do. So that indeed, you know, we read out that one. The kingdom of God. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember that? We read from that um, Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In this teaching, what I'm going to explain is what we are supposed to be seeking. Before we read this, let me just remind us of something I said last time. Just feel like explain it again. We, in dealing with our society, our continent, I've explained something. That there is a, look, it's a matter of fact. There is a curse upon the land. It's not even special. That's, how, that's what natural things do. That's what iniquity is. That's what life is about. But like I said the other time, I'm not trying to emphasize on that. I'm trying to emphasize the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Remember we said something that Paul said in that Colossians chapter 1 where we're reading. He said, I'm doing my share of that which is lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus. And we said that how can something be lacking in that sacrifice? How is it possible? When I first read it, I was confused. How can Paul say such a thing? But of course, we read closely and we said that this is what it means. If Jesus does something... And the people don't know about it. It's of no benefit to them. I hope you're getting my point. So Paul, being convinced, being fully persuaded that this is the antidote that the curse upon the land, gave his life. And we took examples from WHO in our eradication of some disease in the world, like um, poliomyelitis. We saw how at risk of their lives, People will go into dangerous areas because they know their medicine works. And I made a statement which I want to say make again before I, I, I leave, and I want to emphasize it deliberately. That until God finds people like Paul, listen, you must understand how grace works. The first thing grace does is not just to, you know, grace is ability, let's define it. Grace is what? Ability. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What was he saying? I am the least of the apostles. But I labored more than them all. But not I, but the grace of God working with me. So by the grace of God, I am what I am. What is grace? His grace working towards me did not prove in. That his grace is the ability to work. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. So when grace is manifested, that's the point I'm making. It will make us more committed to the truth of the gospel than WHO people are committed to spreading vaccines. You're getting my point? Grace will raise John the Baptist amongst us again. Who will not, that, that is, Paul says something. I do not count my life as being dear unto myself. Do you get my point? But you know the truth? God helping me, I'll get there. The problem we have right now, one major problem, is that we have a gospel that we teach people 
to count their lives as dear unto themselves, but use the word of God to preserve it. I don't know whether you get my point. Instead of telling people, whether you own a house or not is not what determines your destiny. We will say to them, you will say this year, I will no longer be a tenant. Are you getting my point? So they think owning a house is what God sent Jesus Christ to die for. So it becomes a prayer point. A house is not a problem. That's not what I'm going to emphasize. But we now make it the focus of people. Jesus said, any, now listen to what I'm going to say. Is there anyone that focuses on that will never have one? Why? He said, whoever wants to preserve his life, we lose it. He said, however, those who don't care about such things, because of me, not because houses are bad, not because money is bad, but because they will look and say, wait, wait, wait. What you're asking me to do now, how will it further the purpose of Christ? Because it will not further the purpose of Christ, they are the ones that Jesus said they will find a hundred houses. That is what I'm like, that because it won't follow the purpose of Christ, they lose it. I think, and I'm going to, God helping me, I'm going to start doing it. I want to teach brethren how to lose their lives for the sake of Christ Jesus. Because right now, the problem we have is people who don't want to do, lose their lives and they've come to Jesus for the key. To preserve it. So they take the word of God. Do you follow my point? They use the word of God to preserve their lives. I was saying something earlier. If Islam is the one that gathers the grace not to care about their lives, God will deliver the land to them. And I'm not, listen, I'm not joking about that. Because we may say, what about the grace of Jesus? I told you, that grace is not working except it's working in people. It's not working. That is the grace of Jesus, if it's really working, we will see it inside his people. And if you think Jesus is afraid of Islam, no, he's not. He's not afraid of anything. He told them in the book of Revelation, he said, if you don't mend up, if you don't amend things, what do I do? I remove your candlestick out of the place. That's what he said. I'll remove your candlestick. Why was he not concerned? This is church is telling us he will dethrone. He said, I'd rather have no church at all than have one that's not pure. You did hear what I said? I heard people say that they, they say there are, there are many churches, there are many churches, it's still better than beer palace. Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, it's not true. Jesus said, I'd rather have beer palace than have churches that I cannot boast of. You know, some of the things we say that uh, it's still better than beer palace. Jesus said, no, 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 wait. No, don't assume. If the church is not going to reflect me the way it's supposed to, I'd rather that place be a beer palace, which is exactly what's happening in a lot of Europe. God said, there's no problem. Close the church, give it to a mosque. So they remove the church. Next Sunday you come, there's nobody. On Friday you come, they, they, they remove the chairs too. You know, they, they don't need the chairs. Everybody's on the floor, watching with the sun in the east. Or is it the moon? Whatever. I said, Jesus, why did you do that? He said, the church lost his servant. They were there negotiating whether we should ordain homosexual bishops or not. So I gave it to people that will not do that. But they are not Christians. They said they are better. They did not say, I, you have to be cold, uh-huh. So what we have is a proliferation of lukewarmness. And Jesus said, I don't like it. In the last time I began to explain it, but I, no, on Tuesday we talked about the spirit of disciples. Remember that? The heart of disciples. That's what God is asking for again now. Enough of those who are chasing Jesus down because of miracles and bread. The ones those who will chase him only for the sake of righteousness. They are the only ones that can burst the power of God. Listen to this. They are the ones that can drive Boko Haram out of Nigeria into the Sahara Desert, into a desolate area where there's nobody. There's only ones. It's not Nigeria army. 
Is that spirit, that spirit of apostleship, that spirit of discipleship, that spirit that does not count its life as dear unto itself, that spirit that chases John down, even though John is not doing any mighty work, that spirit that enjoys baptism because cleansing from dead works is what's most important to them. They are the ones that can chase darkness out of any nation. Let's bow down heads. I want us to continue the prayer we prayed on Tuesday. Asking God for the spirit of apostleship, of, of, of disciples. Let's continue to pray and ask the Lord to give us that spirit again. Point towards a fresh that spirit of a disciple. Can you pray that prayer? Pray that prayer for yourself. That will count nothing as dear to us, but will be ready to lose everything. Yes, pray that prayer. He's going to give you everything, but you must be ready to when he demands.